0: Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the 9-to-5 mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. Welcome back, or if it's your first time hanging out with us, welcome to the podcast. This is Creative Income. I uh, started this podcast because I'm trying to help creatives figure out different ways to make money that's pretty much the gist right we're all uh, we're all really just trying to make some money here and figure things out and that's what this is uh, this is an exciting week for us we have um, Christo who is the CEO and founder of uh, the future he uh, owned a uh, an advertising agency called blind um, won tons of awards uh, the guy's a, an absolute genius and you'll Immediately recognize that when we start the podcast, um, his vocabulary alone just uh, kind of blew my mind. But um, anyway, he's uh, his his mission is to teach a billion people uh, from his new platform the future, um, which is obviously a very lofty goal. That's like thirteen percent of the world's population, not just the U.S. Um, so I, you know, I I don't know how he's going to do it yet, and I don't think he does either. And we get into that a little bit in this episode. We also talk about how to know how much to charge, um, and how to know self-worth as an artist. Uh, so lots of great stuff coming up in the episode. Um, my week, let's see, what do I got going on? I have a lot of rentals going out right now. Uh, I, I own a ton of camera equipment and grip and electric equipment for, for, uh, lighting and film. And, uh, yeah, the phone's just kind of nonstop at the moment. I've got like a commercial that I'm trying to shoot in the middle of the week and I've got, um, camera packages and grip packages, kind of on bookends, uh, in between that shoot. So I'm trying to get it all satisfied and taken care of. So yeah, man, things are busy. Um, my rotator cuff injury that I mentioned from mountain biking is on the mend. I can lift my elbow above my waist, which is a good thing. Um, and I don't think it's a full tear, which is super good news. But, uh, anyway, just, uh, it doesn't feel good. It still hurts like crazy. So I'm kind of dealing with that in the meantime, trying to Organize my house and somehow also hold a 35-pound camera on my shoulder that's injured. Anyway, all good. All good things. Um, great. Well, uh, if we haven't already, guys, let's go ahead and uh, rate the uh, podcast on uh, Apple Podcast. Give it a nice little review or a bad one if you think the podcast is terrible. But, uh, you know, whatever you need to do. All right, let's jump into it. Here's Christo, everybody. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate your time. I know it's uh, very valuable, so we'll jump right in. Uh, Would you mind just giving a brief description of what you do and who you are, where you come from?
1: Sure, let me let this helicopter go by. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, yeah, I can't actually. Oh, you can't, wow. Okay, this is a good mic. Oh, there you go. (laughs) It's almost about to pass. Okay. There we go. Yeah, my name is Chris Doe. I'm a loud introvert and I have a really big mission, which is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And what that means is I've been... The the beneficiary of um, a a country who's welcomed my family and I, because we're refugees from Vietnam, and I've been able to achieve and do things that exceed my imagination. And so now I'm at that place where, and I, I believe in this, like when you achieve a level of success, you need to send the elevator back down. And that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Awesome. Well, that's probably why you're here right now, uh, chatting with uh, me and a few other my, my friends that listen to the podcast. So, I appreciate it. Now, I, my first question, and I, and I did see that that was your, um, your goal on, your, on the Futures website, to teach a billion people. Are there a billion people interested in advertising or the creative industry? I don't that's think like so. What, yeah, 13% of the population of the world. So, how yeah. are you going to achieve that?
1: Well, there's a couple of different ways. I'm not interested in just uh, teaching design or marketing or content creation. I'm talking, in a, uh, I guess, well, my mission is actually, uh, it's a, or my purpose is a little bit bigger than that, and which is about disrupting and evolving or changing education. Hmm. And I, I think it's a, been a model that's been fairly efficient at doing what it's done. It built for a different industrial age. And now we're living in the information or the creative age and we need different ways of learning. And we look at the inequities that exist in terms of just access alone. So if you're from a poor community or if, you're, if you're, your parents don't have the means to hire the best teachers, uh, tutors, and get you in the best schools, then your opportunities to get into the elite schools and universities in this country are fairly limited. And I can see it yeah. because my son goes to an elite high school and there's all kinds of people already recruiting him and he's a junior in high school. It's vast difference between that and my public high school education. And so to me, it's no wonder that some of the very most powerful and wealthy people in the world tend to go to similar schools to each other. And and there's there's something that's happening here. So what we need to do is we need to be able to reset the table and say, e- education should should be a a right and not a privilege. Like we shall all have access to the best education. That way we have an equal shot at getting some part of that pie, that American dream. And so I think we can leverage digital tools, new innovative ways of teaching. We can spend the amount of money that we need to, to, to make a really high quality class and experience, a learning experience for someone and do it at a price that's affordable for not just people in America, but for people all over the world. Hmm. And so if I'm able to do that, then I'll create the platform or the best practices or contribute to someone else doing it, that then the ripple effect will happen. The only way we can teach a billion people is to teach teachers how to teach and make it equitable for them to participate in this.
0: Right. Now, did you have access to a good education?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, you don't think so? No. I I went to, you know, I lived in a middle to upper middle class neighborhood all my life, went to public school. Uh, I I didn't really feel engaged in in public high school. There's a handful of teachers. Uh, throughout my education, I've made a difference in my life. I cherish them uh, you know, in my mind for the rest of my life. And then I'm, I'm like in community college now trying to figure out my life. And I don't know where to go because my grades aren't good enough. I can't get into the schools I applied to. And eventually I find my way into graphic design and apply to get to Art Center. Now, Art Center is a great school. That's That's how I know your father. Right, yeah. And that changed my life. And so again, it's like it's very clear to me what can happen when you're in the right place. And you have access, but then, then you look around and I remember this experience very vividly in my mind, relatively speaking, I was one of the poorer students. I'm not poor. I'm not saying my parents are poor, but relative mm. to my classmates who were driving fancy European cars, going on trips and, 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 and dressed a certain way, like falling out of a J crew catalog or whatever, I was thinking, <laughs> man, I just want to make it through this semester. You know, my parents made enough to, yeah. to get me in. And then the rest is just financed by MasterCard and Visa.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, what uh, makes you qualified then to teach a billion people or to build a platform? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I think that's actually where I'm going. And so, what are you doing to make sure that this is beneficial for for, uh, everyone and not just Americans, but uh, everyone in the world?
1: Yeah. So, I think the problem with with universities and well established organizations is they just move at a Jurassic pace, they just move so slow. They know the changes here. And we can see this in the last year, this pandemic, COVID hit, and schools are scrambling for the very first time. They thought, what would life be like if we couldn't see each other? And many of them are hemorrhaging money because it's. as it turns out, I've done some research on this. Uh, one university is like losing $100 million to just that year alone in Thanks. lost revenue. And what we find out is, and I think if you just take a step back and objectively look at it, many universities are in the business of loaning people money. Hmm the education is just the, 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 bait that they bring you in. So yeah, schools, secondary. yeah, it's secondary to it all. And they basically help you through the structure to the government apply for a loan that you may or may not be able to pay off for the rest of your life. It's just, it's a ridiculous system that we have. And then there's corporate money that's involved. There's events and promotions. So, and, and just even like parking and housing, they make mm-hmm. so much money. So it seems like to me, it's not an education model, it's a profit model that happens to sell in the space of education. So I'm not qualified to do this at all. I mean, I've been a teacher for 15 years, but I see the changes around us and what I'm doing is I'm just prototyping. I'm trying things. But yeah. I have a bold hypothesis, which is why do we need to teach the same class over and over again by less than superstar teachers? Why not just recruit the best, sharpest, most charismatic, most engaging teachers to teach a class, say chemistry or graphic design or lettering. Why don't Mm -hmm. we just work for six months like the the way that they would develop a script for a TV show, produce the heck out of it, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and have something that you can say this is the definitive piece on this and then open that up to the world. So to me, the models is really messed up. And then the second, third tier teachers who aren't that great can be wonderful TAs to these virtual experiences, right? Cause we still need to talk to humans and they can work more as facilitators and ask the questions in a Socratic approach so that people can learn very hmm. different.
0: Was this something that you, uh, going into graphic design kind of knew or had a plan for, or was there a path to where you are now? Did you try the things? Did you try being a freelance graphic designer at first Talk to me about some of the beginnings and how you got started? Yeah.
1: So, um, education was very far away from my mind at that point. Mm. I'm like every kid that gets out of school, what am I going to do with my life now? Now I have to be an adult and be responsible. I got loans to pay off. I have to make sure that this money my parents invested is not just totally just money in the wind. And so I got to do what I got to do. I got to get work. And so I worked at a couple of places, didn't work for me. It turns out I'm not, I'm not a good employee. I'm not hireable or unemployable, I guess. And then I start freelancing and this is pretty cool. And I'm starting to get a taste for this. And it feels like I'm one step away from starting my business. So I just take the plunge. I graduated in the summer of 1995. I started my company in December of 1995. I'm just telling you that because I'm not a patient person. I just want to go for it. And the the rationale in my mind was, if I don't do this now, I will never be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I got to just go for it. And this is the moment because I'm young and I can afford to lose things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. What was the company that you started?
1: It was called Blind.
0: Yeah, and talk to me. Yeah. What, is, what does Blind do?
1: Yeah. So Blind is a service design company. Uh, it went through many iterations and, and evolutions, but ultimately we're a design production and post-production company. We make commercials. Mostly is how we make our money. And we make music videos to feed our creative soul. But we made commercials for 20 plus years for really big brands
0: Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And that's, so you're, you're making like television spots, are they animated Are they uh, kind of integrated with, with uh, live action or uh, is it mostly just animation?
1: Yes. There are 30 second commercials that you would see back when we watched commercials on TV. You remember that? So that's what we used to do and it started out as being purely typographic and it evolved into full live action with visual effects. And it's just like those iterations, like every three or four years, we have to decide, like, do we want to evolve to the next level? And we would. And ultimately, it led to the point in which sometimes we would shoot mostly live action and barely have any design
0: in it. So how did you know to, I mean, where did you reach out to people? That's like, I mean, I'm assuming you're doing, you know, commercials for for big, you know, 30-second spots. You got probably car commercials, fast food, some of these big companies. What gave you the know-how to reach out to them? How did you have that first big break? Uh, talk to me about some of those uh, those things.
1: Yeah, it's a Lars. It's a situation of uh, timing, right place, in front of the right people, and the right moment in in, mm-hmm. in the industry. When I decided to do motion design, the word motion design hadn't yet been coined, so mm. we're pretty early in it. And I'm I'm at Art Center. I take a, an After Effects class, and it's owned by COSA before it was sold to Adobe. Yeah. So our work it's on this disc, the CD-ROM. Uh, of work, student work, basically examples. And that was my calling card. I didn't know it at the time, but this is very fortuitous that my work gets selected. It gets printed on the the disc and then it goes out. And I just happened to be in Los Angeles, the heart of the entertainment capital of the world. And there are companies here within minutes uh, or miles away from where I was living at that time. And they reached out to me like, Hey, I saw your work. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. And that person, I still know to this day. So 25 years later, uh, his name is Gary. I still talk to Gary and he was one of my first clients. And he, had a, he ran a production company. He's shooting live action. Now, I have no experience. But when I say no, it's like I don't know square from non-square pixels. I don't know anything. <laughs> I barely know what I'm doing. It, and I, I tell people this because I just want to keep it real. Yeah. I wound up uh, animating the titles to Eraser, the film with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I had designed the storyboards. Um, The company I was working for on a freelance basis was called RGA LA. And then later on became imaginary forces. They pick the board, they they get the job and then now I'm full, full blown animation mode and I'm animating titles in 2k, which I barely even know what I'm doing. Hmm. Each frame takes over an hour to render. So, okay. An hour to render 24 (laughs) frames times 22 titles and the deadline is so, so tight. So they paid for another animator from their company to come over to sit with me to look at the files. And and I'm 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 embarrassed, but this is just real. He looks at the animation, he's like, Chris, did you know you can curve the animation? And if we do this, it'll it'll feel a lot smoother and nicer. I'd never adjusted curves in my life before. And if you've done animation, you're like rolling your eyes right now. Of course. Because it was yeah. a linear animation. It would start and stop at the same speed. But once you went in there, i like, oh my God, easy, easy. Oh my- this is like revolutionary. <laughs> and I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, yeah. how the hell did they hire this kid? And he's doing my job. And is- they paid him to come and look at the animation. So once that was yeah. set up, you would duplicate it. And then I would I would typeset all the titles, send them off to be approved. They're all approved. And I'm rendering these things out. And I'm sitting there babysitting every one of these machines. I had Mm -hmm. to rent a couple of machines. And one of them was, I think it was called Daystar Genesis. It was a multi-tower. It was enormous. This thing was like three feet tall. And I don't exaggerate. It's enormous. Just go look it up. And I'm just sitting there like I would literally walk by each monitor. I go, you're still rendering. You're still (laughs) rendering. Okay. Because they would crash. These were unstable things that we were doing. So right place, right time means that there are opportunities for the dumb and foolish. And I fit both in the in, inexperience in that I fit all those
0: categories. How did you know what to charge them? And do you, did you undercharge?
1: Um, I, you don't, you never really know what to charge, to be honest. Sure. yeah. Even to this day. And I, I just remember, I would like, here's my day rate. And they approved it. I'm like, I'll ask for more next time. And from the first moment I worked with them, and we're talking about like a six-month time span, it's not like a lot of time. I went from charging like 300 bucks a day to like 800 bucks a day. And they just kept approving it. So I was trying to find what the limit was. And I found the yeah. limit because eventually a producer called me and said, you know, I just got your invoice and you just keep changing your price. And I'm like, I understand. I said, is there a problem, a complaint about the work and the value? She goes, no. I say, okay. And that was that. Yeah.
0: So, so was that the limit? I, I'm curious. No, it was not the limit. Okay. Yeah. You can
1: just keep going. But there is a limit to how much you can charge when you're doing outsource work. So they, as the, as the production company, we're, we're working with a client, they need to make money. So whoever has the closest relationship or proximity to the client makes the lion's share of the money. And everybody needs to know that.
0: Yeah, explain that in, in different context.
1: Okay, so let's say you're Sony and you hire an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And then ad agency hires a production company that does the live action. The live action company hires a motion design firm and the motion design firm hires animators an animator hires like someone else. Like he just keeps the farther, so the anima-
0: Animators can't be the most expensive part of that. They're equation. not going right. to make yeah. the
1: most money, period. Yeah. Yeah. So whoever is closest to the client, in this case, the ad agency, they will make the lion's share. If there were a hundred dollars, they'd probably make $70 out of the hundred dollars. 30 would wow. go into production and then five would go into the motion design studio and 50 cents or 10 cents would go to the animator. It's usually how it works.
0: So how have you been able to get as close to the top as you possibly can be? And are you?
1: Yeah. The ideal thing, and I I think about this all the time, right? So I'm like, well, if Nissan hires shy day to do their advertising, Mm. you could aspire to be shy day. It'd be better just to be Nissan. (laughs) I mean, that's how I think. It's my my little brain's like, why don't you just become Nissan? Okay, so kid, like what? How are you going to do that? Well, you go through a process. So the first process is can I replace what the agency is doing? Well, they have uh, marketing strategists, They have media buyers. They have all kinds of people who know very specific things to generate an effective marketing campaign. And so it takes me over, over 15 years to learn like, Oh, I think I can do this. <laughs> this is what they do. So for that entire first 15 years, it was just working for them. And this is what people refer to as client direct work hmm. or direct to client. Yeah. So we're going to, become the agency, but you have to acquire the skills the agency has. You can't just be a production company. You can't just be designers. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you do that. And that's what we did. We started working with clients direct. So they'd come to us and they were less sophisticated buyers of media and art and design. You'd have to do their strategy for them. You'd have to figure out their tone and voice and write their copy. And then somewhere down the line, you actually make the video. Hmm. And all this stuff you charge for, by the way. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, no, did you have to hire out uh, different people to help you with that copy, to help you with that creative or was that something that you just figured out on your own and and with trial and error uh managed to do it?
1: Um it is very difficult to figure these things out on your own. You need training and you need professional experience. Now now luckily if you've been working in the industry for 15 years and you've not burned too many bridges, you'll know someone who knows someone. Yeah. And so eventually you find that person. And then they either charge you, consult, and they teach you, you pay them. Something like that happens and you start to learn it and it becomes part of your core competency. So when it came to doing the strategic part for the brand, I learned how to do it. I practiced it and I did it. And you throw yourself into the fire and you learn, you fire walk, and then you do it. And you're like, okay, but I'm not a copywriter. That's not something right. I can just pick up a book and start writing copy. So you, you tap into all your friends that used to work in advertising, And then Mm -hmm. they write copy for you. And it's like, oh, that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah."
0: Talk to me about, um, obviously you're doing motion graphics back in 95, 96, when uh, Adobe hadn't even acquired After Effects yet. This is way before I even came to the picture. Uh, I'm sure that... Your your business model has evolved and and actually had to pivot a few times along the way. Uh, 90s was the golden age of advertising, where you know McDonald's would come to people with two million dollars, and that was that. And now maybe that's a tenth of the cost of what yep. they uh, had. That was there by uh, the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So now now they're they're coming to people with two hundred thousand dollars, and they're still getting the work done. Yep. How have you had to pivot and talk to me about some of the um, uh, um, safe safe guards, you know, not having too much overhead and making sure that uh, you you weren't caught in hot water.
1: Yeah. Uh, The, the idea is everything changes all the time. It's the question of whether or not you see it and if you can adapt quickly enough to it. Yeah. For whatever reason, that golden age, it was like, there were maybe three, six channels that you can watch. I know there was like satellite, but there's the main channels and they would spend a lot of money because this is the best way to communicate and reach out to people and grow your business. Agencies used to get the media by which is enormous, right? That's the budget that they spend just to buy uh, advertising. I remember reading about this, I think it was the late 90s, that American Express spent half a billion dollars just in media buy alone. So if you take 10% of that, you're doing pretty good as an agency. Maybe you take more. But then the business model changes because what happens is brands get really smart and sophisticated. They cherry pick from the agency, people they like working with and they bring them inside and they become their chief brand officer. And then they piecemeal everything out. They say, we'll buy the media ourselves. So this, it just creates downward pressure. Yeah, The agencies I know are going out of business or they have to change their business model. They actually have to make money in production now. Whereas before mm. they could do it at a loss and get the money back in the media buy. So all these things are changing. And so we, we're kind of arcing out of this free for all spending. This is a in that time pre dot com bubble meltdown. And there was funny yeah. money. I remember there was a comic strip and they would spin something around in a chair and the dumb guy in the office would point to something and they would buy that stock and that stock would be like, shoot up like 10, 100 times the value. <laughs> dumb money, yeah. speculative yeah. market. Of course, it's going to crash and certainly it did. So there was the dot-com bust and that's what happened. And then mm-hmm. people start getting smarter and they keep evolving. So what do you have to do? You have to learn how to make the things that you make in a much leaner way. And I remember this is hilarious because for us to do a live action shoot one day would probably cost somewhere between ninety to $120,000 just to be on set. Yep. And I thought that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it was. But then one of my producers say, well, Ridley Scott can't step on the set unless it's $600,000 because he wants all these things. He yeah. wants this DP. He wants that art director. And he wants to do it big. And so for them, uh, making commercials was going to be tougher and tougher. And, mm-hmm. and they, they had a hard time figuring it out. And you take it all the way to the end. So we're talking now like 2018, 2017. What's happening is now we have to learn how to make the same things we used to make for, like you said, a 10th. And it's probably even less than that. Yeah. And we have to get really smart. And DS, DSLRs are available. Mm-hmm. It becomes a thing technology keeps changing it pushes. And now you can create a cinematic quality level image with depth of field and the richness of film for, $2, for 2,000 bucks instead of 2,000 bucks. Yeah. yeah. At that time, Canon 5D Mark II, Two. I believe yep. that changed the game full size sensor, beautiful look. And it started to yeah. evolve.
0: I remember it was a, uh, I think probably it was it 2009 or 2010. I remember uh, at college, just uh, my friend sent me this video. It was comparing the, the red one, which was the only digital cinema camera at the time. that was like the body itself was $17,500, which I just couldn't possibly imagine having owning personally uh, compared to the 5D Mark II. And I liked the 5D Mark II more. I mean, it just blew my mind that suddenly this entire world of cinematic possibilities was unlocked in an instant. So yeah, so that, uh, that did change things. Yeah. Um, how did that affect your business? Did you have employees that you had to let go at the time? Uh, Was your overhead much bigger than it it needed to be? Or were you able to see the future, uh, no pun intended, um, and evolve and adapt in time?
1: Yeah, we go through cycles like this all the time. Because if you're in a fast moving market, the team that got you here won't get you there. And so Mm -hmm. we have to go through this. And it's a painful emotional process where I have to say, I love all of you. You're amazing people, but our business is not here anymore. We have to survive. And so I have to cut a third of you and you go through that. And it's, it's, it gets a little easier, but it's still never easy. And you have to let people go and say, you're a good human being. There's nothing wrong with you. I just can't afford to keep here because our business isn't here anymore. And then you can see uh, this slow trickle of work that's flowing from our reps. And it's like, what's going on? like, well, there's no work to be had. We don't know what to do. So the mm. slowdown in, in production. And I remember back in the day, um, Powerade, this is a late eighties, early nine, uh, I'm sorry, late nineties, early two thousands Powerade stro- was like launching. They dropped an S load of money to make a commercial, like, like a, a future sports arena, you know, with mm. CG and robots and tunnels and production. Cause I was involved in, it, I was like, Holy cow, the kind of money they're spending on this thing. Fast forward today, you don't see many of those epic commercials anymore because no. that's not where people's attention are. They're on social media. They're right. vertical videos. They're Which, and the, and the climate's
0: entirely different too. where It's more totally. real, exactly, where you have a personal element and everything, right? It's like I, I always joke that um, like I'll see a commercial and it's like lens flare is anamorphic, two, four to one, you know, and, you know, it's like a dad and a daughter on a train and it's all emotional and I'm like, what is this even for? At the end, it says like something like Sharpie, make it last or something. You know what I mean? It has nothing yeah. to do with what I'm seeing, but it's just like once you, once you evolve um, and make things more emotional or connect them to personal people or their lives, then, then they just respond differently to it. And that's what you see, I think, a lot with uh, YouTube and Instagram and, uh, and a lot of marketing moving towards those platforms because people feel like they're buddies with some of these people and there's a human element well, to everything. they're real people. They're real, and you trust They are real people, right? Yeah, exactly, right.
1: So agencies are going to give some young influencer thirty thousand dollars. Say, here's the Sharpie. We just need to end on this line, make it last. Mm-hmm. They'll do something outrageous, funny, cool, and it'll be um, consistent with their voice and their tone. And if they have a couple million followers, that's the eyeballs that they want.
0: Yeah, and and what a what a great deal for that company for Sharpie. You know, what I mean, oh, a couple yeah. million followers, a couple like so. That's how many impressions. You know, two million impressions on this on the Sharpie thing that they already have come to this person and they've volunteered their follow, you know they already are interested in what they're doing. That's right. so have you been able to to capitalize on some of this uh, market? Are you on social media? Or are you talking about social media with some of your your marketing?
1: yes, I, I am on social media and am uh, I'm, I'm not an influencer, but I'm not a micro influencer that I, there's a technical term, you know, like if you have mm-hmm. about twenty thousand followers, you're a micro influencer if you have like a million followers, then you're an influencer. I'm in the middle. And so I have recently done two sizable deals based on my social media following. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I can't tell the name of the company, but it's for $120,000 to post three things on my account.
0: Incredible. And you've got about 550,000 followers, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, that's incredible money. And and I think that's uh, yeah, it's really amazing. Good for you. So talk to me, um, when did you start the future?
1: Okay, the future was in its original form, a company called The School Mm -hmm. and had a business partner. His name was Jose Caballé and we were working together to make YouTube videos because we wanted to launch an education product. Mm -hmm. And we were doing that for a while. And Jose and I split in 2016, uh, different differences in management and style and pace and all that kind of stuff, vision. And then that was when the future was started, but uh, it, it was originally in 2014. So 2016, I don't have a partner anymore. I'm going to do what I want. The company starts to grow and it grows really fast because now I don't have to make compromises. I don't have to have a meeting about anything. We just do (laughs) it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we adjust and we adjust really fast. Um, I like running without a plan. I don't advise people to do this, but I like running without a plan. I like to run with a direction. I know, Hmm. generally speaking, it's North, Northeast but I don't need to know every side route and every pit stop. I don't need a resupply station. I'm just going to go.
0: My direction is generally down. I'm like the kind of jump out of the airplane and assemble a parachute on the way down kind of person. So it's a little bit different. I think I like your method more and I I might have to change things up a little bit, but uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Less impact on you if you don't get it right, by the way, (laughs) the metaphor. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we start doing this thing and then we're growing our company 300% year over year, which is crazy. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I think the future as an education company is going to exceed blind as a service design company, especially Mm. because we're still trying to figure out what does the market want from us, right? We've moved from working with agencies to doing client direct. We moved away from motion design to doing brand strategy. And so now we have this other opportunity. So in December of 2018, one of my creative directors says to me, why do we keep doing commercial client work when we could just work on content? And if we can just commit to making the business model work, would never have to take another client on. And at first I was really challenged and bothered by that statement, but Mm -hmm. I gave it like a few minutes. I'm like, okay, you're right. Let's go for this thing. We decided in December of 2018, we're not going to do client work anymore. Guess what happens in January? One of our biggest um, clients calls and says, we have this amazing video we want you to make. It's $400,000. We look at each other like, okay, (laughs) what do we do? in theory, it was a good idea to walk away from this work. Uh-huh. It's the, it's one of our biggest and best clients is super cool project. We all love, what are we going to do? And we said, no. And I thought well, saying no would hurt me a lot more emotionally. Financially yeah. it's going to hurt me for sure. But emotionally sure. I thought, you know, maybe this is the, we just do this like one last time, but no, we just said, no, we committed to it and we've never looked back. So we haven't done client work since December, 2018.
0: Wow. Incredible. So are you, is, is blind then merging with the future at all, or is there a very distinct uh, separation between the two?
1: There is a very clear distinction because nobody works for blind anymore. Everybody is on the futures payroll. We don't do client work anymore. We hold blind as an entity because I'm, I'm not sure what I want to do with it yet, Mm -hmm. but we keep blind around because a lot of people on, on YouTube and social media, they've never done anything with their lives. Right. So when you start to poke behind the curtain, you're like, Oh. You're selling me the thing that you want to sell me. That's how you're going to get rich, right? Well, we actually have a rich history of doing work for 20 plus years and some, some really hard jobs, some really amazing jobs. It's there. And so Mm -hmm. we use it now as proof positive. Like, you know, it wasn't from nothing. I didn't just pop up online one day and decide like, I'm going to teach people how to make stuff.
0: So you've taken this creative group of people and you've brought them over to the future. And that we've got uh, creative directors we've got uh, graphic designers and and you're building a an educational network, uh, which I, I know about only because my dad who's a, a graphic designer and letter artist uh, letter form artist um, has a couple of videos on your on your platform yep um, Talk to me about uh, how it started and how it's evolving because I think from what I can gather when I go there, it feels very design centric uh, with undertones in business and for creatives. Um, but what's the idea? What's the plan for the future? Yeah.
1: And your observation is spot on. We have, we're a company with a personality disorder and I'm not going <laughs> to hide from it. Yeah. We're not always sure what the heck we are, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you can say we're an education company that works, but it's pretty broad and generic and that's not going to help anybody. My background is in design, in, in production, motion graphics, animation, visual effects, but I'm not that interested in building a company around the things that I used to do because those things change all the time. I find that there's a gap in the market between a creative person and a business owner in the creative space. And so you can go to school and there's lots of really fine schools out there that'll teach you the art and craft of making a film, uh, doing audio productions, whatever. There's great schools for all this stuff to do compositions, Mm -hmm. to do anything. But generally speaking, that's as far as they're going to take you. So you'll be an amazing craft person. You, you can be an artist or an artiste or whatever, artisan, but you are going to struggle with the rest of it, which is about marketing negotiations, uh, overcoming sales objections, all that kind of stuff, running a company, scaling a company. So that's where we're happiest is when we can talk about the intersection between business and commerce and art and design. And that's where we live. So yes, we need to give people tools first, like logo design, letter form design, et cetera. But we're going to quickly pivot over here because it's pretty wide open over here. And yeah. rather than compete in the red ocean, I would rather be here in the blue ocean.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's universal, right? So I think uh, design is not universal. Not everybody wants to be a designer necessarily, right. but everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to have those tools to know how to communicate uh, uh, with clients, to have a better business mindset, uh, to generate more income, uh, whether you're a chemist, right, or a graphic designer. Uh, and I think that's what's, for me, the most fascinating part about, uh, uh, about the future is those courses. And that's what piqued my interest actually personally. Um, so what is, what's the plan? What, how do you, how are you going to teach a billion people coming back to the beginning here?
1: Yeah, so we have to prove the business model first. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are doing things that look like what we do and are much more successful by a factor of three or four X. Mm-hmm. What they are is they, they teach one course and they, it's very meta. It's usually a webinar on how to run webinars or it's a teacher teaching you how to teach and sell teaching courses. And it's like, oh, it's a little weird, okay? Mm-hmm. They're all marketing courses yeah. essentially. And they're doing really well. And that, that is a lifestyle business. You will live really well and you have to work very few hours and it's a dream for most creative people. But if you have this big mission to change education and you want to be able to, yeah. to create the blueprint, well, it's a lot different because right now what we're doing is we're building a curriculum. Uh, like say, if you want to become a full-fledged graphic designer, what kinds of courses do we have to create so that it'll sort of flow from, from one to the next? And our idea is that in four years, when we're done... You you can sit there and you can say, I'll I'll go to a private art school or I'll go to the future and spend one tenth or one fiftieth of the money and get mm-hmm. a comparable education. I'm not going to compromise. It's either this or this, and you want a different experience. That's all. Once we're able to build this where the students feel like they get great value, the teachers get paid. They have intellectual property that they own forever. and and collect a royalty every single time we sell a course and don't have to do anything else, but create the original course. We'll handle the rest. Then I know that that's the blueprint or the operating system that then can scale. Now you can take that same blueprint and say, well, we'll get into accounting. We'll get into business management. Now you just follow the formula and it will work. So right now we're just working on the formula, proving the business model first. We're not there yet. We've got a ways to go. uh,
0: How successful are you so far?
1: Uh, We've done two years now where we've done north of $3 million, but I don't, I'm not looking at that as successful. This year, we're trying to get to $5 million in revenue and then 10 and then 15 or something like that. Maybe Mm -hmm. bigger jumps, I'm not sure. But once we get into double digit millions of dollars in revenue, I feel like we have more resources that we can then have uh, people who are in education design, teachers, producers, writers, and art directors, everybody working on this full time so that we're constantly in a state of developing courses, producing the courses or marketing the courses. And it's just going year round in a smooth cycle. In order to do that, we can take investment money or I can just spend all of my money or I can just do a little bit at a time. So it's a combination of all those three things, except for investment money.
0: What advice, uh, one piece of advice do you have for young creatives starting out? Uh, and, and not, let's say they've been to school, they're just looking for work now. What What one piece of advice do you have for them on how to get work and how to generate income?
1: make content. I mean, that's the bottom line, make content, because you can be the world's most talented person and be dead broke if no one knows you. Hmm. So people hire who they know, like, and trust. And so before they can trust you, before they can like you, they need to know you first. And the best way I know how, even if you're in school, even if you're in high school right now, start working on the thing that you think you want to be known for the one thing. And you can change your mind. Totally. Okay. That's fine. People change their mind all the time, but you're mm-hmm. getting into the practice of expressing of expressing and articulating your thinking in a visual form. This could mm-hmm. be on TikTok. It could be on Instagram. It could be on YouTube. You can write a medium post, whatever floats your boat, the best way that you know how to communicate to the world, just do that and get into the practice of that. One, you'll grow an audience that might turn into a community of fans, but more importantly, you get to learn about who you are. Like back when I was in school in junior high, they would say, keep a journal, keep a journal. It's really important to keep a journal. And guess what? I did not keep a journal. <laughs> and now I understand the importance of keeping a journal, which is you, you discover what you know by articulating that to others. Hmm. Yeah. That's why it's so important.
0: Wonderful. Well, Chris, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, you taking the time out of your day to, to be here. So uh, thank you again. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off?
1: No, I appreciate the conversation. It was really fun. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Where can people find out more about uh, the future? Okay, or you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The easiest way to find out about the future is go to the future.com. The future has no E in it. And people always wonder, like, where did the ego? I said we just dropped it. We dropped the ego, man. That's it. So it's F U T U R.
0: (laughs) We dropped the ego. Yeah. Oh. I didn't I didn't catch that. That's hysterical. (laughs) No, yeah. Where's the ego? No, you don't have it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't have any ego. go. It's gone. So it's the, oh, the future the futur. You can also find me everywhere on social media. I'm at the Chris Doe. Last name is D-O. So the Chris Doe. It's a two letter last name.
0: Perfect. Well, I can't wait to uh, to see uh, uh, more what uh, comes out for you guys. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. My pleasure. All right. That wraps this up. Thank you guys for sticking around to the end there. Um Yeah. Chris Doe, go check out his channel. Pretty incredible stuff, really impressed with uh, what they're able to do with the future. Um, And I kind of can't wait to see what they do in the future. Also, if you didn't know already, um, I am putting these up on YouTube. So if that's more your platform, if you just kind of watch videos in the background while you're doing work or whatever, uh, go ahead and and, and go check out Creative Income with Lars Lindstrom over on YouTube and you can watch the show there and see our pretty faces. All right, thanks everybody, have a great week. (laughs)